Well, in 2 Kings, <clears throat> there is an encounter that a woman has with one of God's prophets. And it is the kind of encounter that we see going from a valley to a peak and then back to a valley. And I think that kind of sums up our lives on this side of glory. That we have certainly peaks and valleys. That there are times undoubtedly that this earthly life can bring us tremendous joy. But then there are also times when this earthly life brings anxiety and heartache. And I think everyone in this room has experienced those emotions. The highs and the lows. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, we read about a woman in a place called Shunem. And this woman is there with her husband. And he especially is getting on in age. And there is a man of God that comes through every once in a while. And so she decides that she is going to practice hospitality. She wants to provide a place for him to stay. And so she tells her husband, I want us to make a room for him. And so it's like they add on to the place. And it's even described there in Scripture that it is a room that has... uh, It's got a bed, and it's got a chair, and it's got a lamp. And I think about, when I hear that, I think about just about every hotel room or even uh, roadside motel that I've ever stayed in in my life. Because you walk in, and unless you're staying in a really nice suite, you walk in, and what's in that room? Well, there's a bed, and there's a lamp, and there's a chair. You know, there's a place for you to wash up. It's pretty basic. And that's okay. That's all you need. You're not living your life there. You're just spending the night there. But that's what this woman cares enough about one of God's servants that knowing that he's going to be passing through there back and forth on his travels. And so she greets him and says, we've got a place for you. And so Elisha is able to stay at this couple's house along with his servant. And so Elisha gets to the point and he tells his servant, you know, uh, I'd like to do something for this woman. She has shown us such kindness and hospitality. I'd like to do something in return for her. And so the, uh, the servant tells his master, Elisha, well, you know, uh, she doesn't have a son. And her husband is not a young man anymore. And so he says, will you send for her? And so she comes to the room and he explains to her that he would like to bless her and she kind of puts up some resistance and kind of as if to say, hey, I'm... I know my lot in life, I'm paraphrasing here, but but I'm comfortable with my current station and where I am. Now, the scripture says there in 2 Kings 4 that she is well-to-do. 
So financial resources don't seem to be an issue for this family. We see later in the story evidence that they are landowners. And that is always a sign in the Bible that someone has significant financial resources. When they have land or when they have servants in that day and time, that really meant something. And so the, the woman puts up some resistance, but he says, in, in a year, you're going to have a son. And so let's pick up the story then in verse 18. Because she says, uh, she says uh, to him in response to that, I'm in verse 16. Uh, she says, uh, no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. And what I hear her saying there, church, is please don't get my hopes up. I've had my hopes up before. And I don't want to go through that again. Sometimes in life, church, we get to a point where we get so used to dwelling in the valley that we don't even want to think about being on a peak again because we know it doesn't last. And that's kind of where this woman is. She has a certain amount of contentment. She's thinking, no, I don't want to be let down yet again. I've had my hopes up so many times before. I know what it is to hope for something. And for it not to come to fruition, not to be a reality. And so in verse 18, well, verse 17, But the woman became pregnant in the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. His father told a servant, Carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, 
Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Elisha explaining, just as the woman explained to her servant, lead on, don't slow down unless I tell you. And Elisha has told Gehazi the very same thing. In other words, make haste. You don't slow down for anyone. You don't slow down to say hello to anyone. You book it. And so the child's mother, verse 30, said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hand. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. The church, I really think that this woman had sort of learned to release hope. I think people do that sometimes. That she had learned to release the pope, released hope because she had decided to be content with what God had given her. And we often do that because whether it's the fact that we are limiting God's power or whether we are just people who are resolved that we want to put up a wall and we don't want to allow ourselves to be disappointed Especially in a set of circumstances where disappointment may have happened we don't know how many times before in this woman's life. But hope, church family, is a powerful thing. Hope is what we can cling to. Hope is mentioned so many times in Scripture that I had trouble deciding what verses to include this morning. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. At least that's what we're supposed to do, right church? I love that song. And it's taken from scripture that says, Teach me Lord to wait. Right down on my knees. And that song even mentions 
time. The acknowledgement that, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes, sometimes we have to wait for a lot longer than we would care to think about. Sometimes we have to wait for longer than we're prepared for. I know some of us had to wait longer than we would have preferred to gather back in this building again. And we don't know what the future holds. We might have to suspend meeting here yet again. And if that's the responsible thing to do, that's what our shepherds will decide to do. But hope... If you're just hoping for better circumstances, well, then that's not real hope. The kind of hope that God promises, though, church, that is something we can count on. In World War II, there were some American soldiers fighting the Japanese in the Philippines. And the U.S. Army was forced to retreat from the Philippines, but some of their soldiers were left behind and became prisoners of the Japanese. The men called themselves ghosts, souls unseen by their nation. And on the infamous Bataan Death March, They were forced to walk over 70 miles, knowing that those who were slow or weak would have their lives taken by their captors or die from dysentery and lack of water. Those who made it through the march spent the next three years in a prisoner of war camp. By early 1945, as the war was nearing its end, over 500 men were still alive at that prison camp. But they were giving up hope. The U.S. Army was on its way back, but the POWs had heard the frightening news that prisoners were being executed as the Japanese retreated from the advancing United States Army. Their wavering hope was met by one of the most magnificent rescues in wartime history, chronicled in Hampton Side's book, Ghost Soldiers. 120 U.S. Army soldiers and 200 Filipino guerrillas managed to outflank 8,000 Japanese troops and rescue those 513 men remaining in that hellish prison camp. And one of the men who entered one of the places, one of the barracks, where those POWs were, said he found one of them in a corner, a dark corner just muttering to himself. Tears rolling down his face. And he asked, are you okay? And he says, I thought you had forgotten us. And he says, no. You have not been forgotten. He told his fellow soldier, you you guys have been our heroes. 
we wished we could have gotten here sooner. But he said, you have not been forgotten. And they liberated those POWs. And church family, the message for you this morning, regardless of what kind of emotional state you're in, in this, this day of your life, this time of your life, this season of your life, whether you found yourself lately on more peaks than valleys or more valleys than peaks, but the message is that you are not forgotten. We are a remembered people by the God who loves us. And I've seen a lot of people anxious to put 2020 to bed and usher in 2021 because they have what church? They have hope that because 2020 has been such a rough year for so many that 2021 is going to be better. And church family, I don't mean to be negative this morning. I just only mean to be realistic. Hope doesn't come from turning the page of a calendar. That's the kind of hope that people outside of the body of Christ cling to. Well, I'm I'm turning the page of a calendar. It's a new year. It's a new month. I'm going to start learning to writing 21 on my checks instead of 20. But we have no guarantee, do we? That 2021 is going to be one bit better than 2020. We don't. That's a reality. We have no control over those circumstances. We have no control over what life gives us. Because on this side of glory, this is a fallen and broken world. And we are fallen and broken people in need of a Savior. And God, the Father of all hope, gave us just that. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Church family, that's where our hope lies. It's the people outside these walls, the people that have no hope, that cling to the hope of a new year. And while it's good and well to look into a new year with a positive attitude, we're embracing hope through our circumstances, just like the world does. And that's not what God calls us to do. Our hope is far beyond the limitations of our circumstances, church. Say these two verses with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Amen. 
And so church family, as we think about where our hope lies, let's make sure that we're not getting caught up with the thinking of the world around us. As C.S. Lewis once said, there are far better things ahead than what we leave behind. It's like the song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. There are far better things ahead than what we leave behind. Church, We cannot change our circumstances. But we can react. We have that control. We don't control what life gives us. We control how we respond. And God calls us to be people who respond with hope. Because this world is not our home. This is temporary. Paul tells us to fix our eyes on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Having a conversation with my mother just a few days ago, she said, but oh son, and this is 80 years of wisdom here, she said, you know why that's hard? Because we know so little about the afterlife. And this is when her preacher son said, Oh, but mom, if we knew what it was going to be like, it would completely negate the necessity for us to be people of faith. Hope for what we cannot see. But make no mistake, church, our God who loves us who sent His Son, as Rick reminded us this morning, to die for us. Not just for the good people, right Rick? But for everyone. For everyone. For all of humanity. And that's how much God loves us. And that is the source of our hope. If you are with us this morning and you have not yet uh, embraced that hope or maybe you've been in a season of doubt and struggle and you just want to come back to God. You just want to say, I need the prayers of my church family and I want to renew my relationship with our loving Father. Then we offer the invitation for just such purposes. Let's stand together and sing this song.